Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The NIV, which is not interested in verses, we're going to look at the 17 verses that have been completely removed from the so-called NIV Bible. And we're going to start at Matthew chapter 17. The introduction and the title don't sound like this is going to head in a good direction, does it? Not concerning that so-called Bible, it's not. Because it's not a it's not a Bible, it's a perversion of the Bible. And Matthew chapter 17, verse number 21, uh, the Bible says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. If you had an NIV Bible, that is one of the verses that is completely removed. It will come to verse number 20 and then verse 21. It will have a little A in parentheses, which guides you to go where? It guides you to go to the footnote, which says the verse number listed. Or it's it'll, the footnote will say some manuscripts include here words similar to Mark 29. That's what they do on the footnote. They remove the verse. They put it in a footnote and they try to justify what they did by telling you to go to Mark chapter 9, verse 29. Well, what's interesting about that is when you go to Mark 29 in the NIV, it says this kind came out only by prayer. Which the cross-reference doesn't even include and in the footnote on Mark 9:29 will say some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. So it's ironic about this first removal that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21 is completely removed. They tell you to go to uh, the footnote. The footnote tells you to go to Mark 9, 29, and they don't even, they don't even include fasting. <laughs> so you don't even get any of it either way. It's just a hodgepodge of confusion. But that's the first verse we're looking at that's removed, Matthew 17, 21. Go over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 11. I would say this is a pretty important verse. The Bible says, for the son of man is come to save that which was lost. Completely removed from the NIV Bible. And they'll do the same thing they did in Matthew 17. Some manuscripts include here the words of Luke 19.10. So they'll do the same thing. They'll remove it. You'll see to be referred to the footnote at the bottom of the page. When you go to the footnote, you have to read that. And then you're directed as to <laughs> footnote is trying to play the Holy Spirit, I guess. But it's not. So Matthew 18, verse 11, completely obliterated out of the NIV Bible. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Third verse, let's go over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 14. Watch this one. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Completely removed from the NIV Bible. This time you'll see uh, a little letter B in parentheses, which means it's the second footnote, which means it's the second correction that they've made to the Bible in one chapter. Uh, 
and they will say some manuscripts include here words similar to Mark 12, 40, and Luke 20, verse 47. Um, now, you want to know what's interesting about that? What's, okay, well, let me read you Mark 12, 40. They tell you to go to Mark 12, 40. I'll read you Mark 12, 40 out of the NIV. It says this. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, anybody want to guess the second problem that we have in the midst of this verse being completely removed? That's the first problem. The second problem would be a pretty strong assumption as to why, and it's pretty obvious why, that verse was removed. Because Matthew chapter 23, verse 14 says, Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. And you know what Mark chapter 12, verse 40 says? The same thing. They shall receive greater damnation. So when the NIV removes Matthew 23, verse 14, not only do they completely remove the verse out of the Bible, but they do so because, well, we don't want to talk about damnation. We can't say that. Even when you follow the footnote, which the whole idea of the footnotes is, their justification for that is, well, we're not saying that God didn't say it. We're just saying that God didn't inspire Matthew to record it. <laughs> I mean, that's really their big argument as to why they would remove verses. Now, I don't buy that. But when you follow the footnote on this and you find out that not only is it removed, but in the footnote, damnation is removed as well. You've got to say to yourself, it's not right. I don't know how any Christian could see that. And not be in an uproar. But there it goes in this Laodicean church age. God said he would preserve his word. That was his promise. I believe that he did. And if you want to take verses out. You want to change words. Not buying. Them. Luke chapter 20. The second. Uh, the second verse they tell you to go to. In this footnote of Matthew 23, verse 14, when they say some manuscripts still hear words similar to Mark 12, 40 and Luke 20, 47. Well, Luke 20, 47, you think they'd get it right there, but no, they don't. It's the same rendering as Mark 12, 40. The NIV doesn't want damnation in the Bible. And it's a softening and it's a weakening of the wrath of God and the damnation that is coming upon the wicked. And it's sad, but it is nonetheless true. So those are three verses completely removed out of the book of Matthew. Let's go over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse number 16. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And they'll do the same thing. Some manuscripts in the footnote include here the words of Mark 4, 23. They'll just guide you somewhere else and make it as if God did not inspire Mark to write this down. I don't want a chopped up Bible. But Mark 7, 16, completely removed. Go over to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9, verse number 44. The Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures say, 
where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You know what this is a reference to? It's a reference to the punishment of the wicked. Again, a softening and a weakening of the language so as not to offend the weak knee, yellow spine, so-called Christian. And it's not right. Completely removed from the Bible. Mark chapter 9, uh, verse number 46. Jesus is so adamant about people getting this verse that he states it in verse 44. In verse 46, he states it again, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a willy-nilly attempt to try to render what God said. And every time people try to amend the Bible, they always mess it up. We have to allow it to stand as it is and believe it as it is, not amend it or change it or correct it or take away or add to it. Completely gone. Why? Because they don't want unquenched fire and they don't want punishment of hell. That's what they're going for. How do you know that? Well, I'm assuming that very strongly because they're messing with God's word. That's why. And you can come up with all the scholarly reasons and all the. I'm just not going to buy into it. I don't want you to either. Mark chapter 11, verse number 26. Look what it says in Mark 11, verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. If you take that out, I'm left to think, whose responsibility is it to forgive sins and trespasses? Is it the believer's? Look what it says in verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have any awe against any, that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So am I standing there being able to forgive people? You know, without verse 26, you don't get the full context of what Jesus is trying to say and we have this idea that we can't forgive somebody's sins but when the Bible says but if you do not forgive neither will your father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses God's not saying believers have the responsibility to forgive sin but if you or I think that we are somehow not as bad as somebody else and so therefore we don't have to forgive them Lest us not forget, Jesus forgave you and Jesus forgave others that sinned worse than you did. So we have to be careful as a practical way of looking at this verse that we don't get on our high horse and say, well, that person did and I only did and God could never hold on. There's people that did worse off than you did. God forgave their sin just like you forgave yours. And just like you'll forgive somebody that didn't sin as bad as you did. And when we all get to heaven, Christians, 
when we, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be thinking about or worrying about who was and who did. We're not. It's going to be glorifying God and worshiping the Lord. We can't have verses in the meantime removed from the Bible and not say anything about it. If, if a group of translators that want to meet every year and get advice from each other, and they come out with the conclusion that they want to critique the Bible, then I say it's fair game that we can get together once a year and critique them for critiquing the Bible. Is that fair enough? Freedom. Let freedom reign. Mark chapter 15. Let's go over to the third chapter. It's as if if you stand in the pulpit nowadays with the King James Bible and stand all the authority of that, you're somehow a threat to society and Christianity. But we don't say the same thing about someone that comes in the pulpit and just corrects the word of God and says it isn't the word of God. It's only the guy that says the King James is and those others aren't. It's funny how it isn't a two-way street. It's only a one-way street. Why? Because people need somebody to demonize. And I understand people are either, uh, they, have, well, they have good intentions. They're not bad people. For the most part, good Christians, if not great Christians, Christians, I'm sure a lot of them witness uh, to the loss and all those are great things and should be commended. But none of that gives them or me or you or anybody a pass when we start correcting the word of God. If that is our authority, I want it to be able to be believed and not doubted. Mark chapter 15, verse number 28. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's an Old Testament prophecy. Fulfilled in Jesus's condemnation and death as a transgressor. And it's completely obliterated from. The not interested in verses NIV Bible. Luke chapter 17. Again, a weakening of prophecy. Luke chapter 17. Here we go again, Luke chapter 17, verse number 36. It's following pattern to the same suit here. Uh, we preached on this last week or two weeks ago, I think. Two men, uh, Luke 17, verse 36, two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. This is a softening of the severity of God's judgment. Now, you remember when we preached on this and we gave the distinction because we're trying to clear up this misconception that Matthew 24 was for the church. It's not for the church. Because when we are taken, we are taken in glory. We get a glorified body if the rapture would have happened right now. In Matthew chapter 24, when God turns, and Luke is the cross-reference here. Luke chapter 17 is your cross-reference. But when Daniel's prophetic 70th week, starts those that are taken are not taken in glory they are taken in judgment they're taken by god's judgment those who are left when we are taken in glory those who are left here on this earth are the unbelievers in daniel's 70th week when god turns back and starts the time clock and starts dealing with that nation again 
Those that are taken are taken away in judgment. They're taken in judgment. Those that stay on the earth are safe and protected. Well, that's not us. We're raptured and taken in glory. Not during Daniel's 70th week. Those tribulation saints, those that are left upon the earth, are left and protected, and they will be able to physically enter into the millennial kingdom that Jesus will set up on his second coming. So when it takes out, when the NIV takes out, two men shall be in a field, the one shall be taken. That's softening, that's removing a verse that therefore softens, softens the severity of God's judgment. Because one's taken in judgment. <laughs> that's why. Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, verse number 17. Let's start reading at verse 13 so you can get the full context. And then verse 17, the last verse we'll read, will be the one that is removed from the NIV. But in Luke 23, starting at verse 13 in Pilate, which he had called together the chief priests and rulers of the people, said to them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chasten him and release him. Verse number 17 is the one that's removed from the NIV. For of necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. Now we all know who was released. I believe we get it yet, yeah, verse 18. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us. Barabbas. So verse 17 completely removed. Here's what the correctors say concerning the reason why Luke 23 17 was removed. It would seem probable from these facts that the narrative was originally written without it. That it was then felt that the release of Barabbas required an explanation. And that a note was first added in the margin, either by a transcriber or by the writer himself in a duplicate copy, and then found its way into the text. Now that is a very scholarly and legalist way of saying, I don't believe that that verse was inspired by God. And here's my reason why. It was probable that it, no. It's probable that you're wrong, and I'm probably right that you're wrong when you remove a verse from the Bible. Now that'll preach. <laughs> We've got to take serious the word of God. People say, I believe the word of God. Well, then why would you? Take verses out because you don't believe it. Your final authority is you or your final authority is some scholar that can correct the Bible. And you somehow feel that because you've got somebody you can see in front of you that speaks Greek or that can eloquently talk you out of your faith in the word of God. It's just not right. It's not right. And I'm not going to buy into that. John. Chapter 5. John chapter number 5. 
another verse completely taken out of the Bible. John chapter 5, verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now that verse is completely taken out of the NIV. And it calls into question, when you remove that verse, the existence of angels during that account that troubled the water. You take it out, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Who troubled the water? Well, apparently the NIV says an angel didn't. We can know that. That's why it's removed. It calls, in, it calls into question who troubled the water. But if I've got God's word in front of me and I read it, I don't have any doubt that an angel troubled the water. Because that's what it says. That's what it says. Acts chapter 8. There's two philosophies. And obviously, you can tell already, we're going through the verses that are removed, and we're giving some commentary on that. I'm making some comments. But I'm not going into deep uh, translational uh, reasons why. We're not going through manuscripts and all of that. We've done a little bit of that. We'll do some more at a later point. But we're getting an overview of what has been removed. But there are two philosophies, basically, when people study the word of God. And these two philosophies determine how you present truth to people. Philosophy number one is God's word is true. We have it preserved in the English language because God said he promised that he would preserve his word. And we have something we can hold in our hand and read it for ourselves and believe it. That's philosophy number one. That's how I try to teach the word of God. So when I come across something that's confusing to me, I'd rather say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> than a better translation would be. Okay. And then I can take some reasoning out of my own intellect, apply it to the Bible by correcting it. Which is the second philosophy. People go to the Bible and they will say that the Bible is the final authority, except what they really mean is. If they come across something that's confusing or if they come across something that they don't like. Or if they've been talked into textual criticism by a scholar. They take it upon themselves when they read the Bible to make corrections or amendments as needed. And if they don't understand something. Well, in the Greek, well, the Greek's going to give you the same as the English. It's just if you don't understand it in English, how are you going to go to the Greek, a language that you don't speak and, ex and understand it better? I don't get that. You're not. Well, I speak Greek. Well, great. I don't. But that doesn't make you or anybody that speaks Greek on a higher plane. The Koine Greek was the common language. So you're going to tell me that you can understand the common language to a Greek person, which is, isn't your first language, but you can't understand 
the common language that you have? Well, it's archaic. Well, we can just go ahead down. We can just go ahead down so many rabbit trails and we'll do those rabbit trail lessons at another time. But Acts chapter eight, let's move onward and upward. Verse number 37. Oh, boy. Why you would want to remove this. Is only one reason. You want to take away the necessity. That you must believe in Jesus Christ. As the son of God. For baptism. Baptism is important. But we've got to get it right. Or we could be on our way to hell. If we believe. Being immersed in water. Washes away your sins. Watch what it says. You all know this. Acts 8. Verse number 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as the, now they've got the Old Testament, that's what he's preaching to. Them. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37 completely removed, which is the reason and the absolute correct explanation of why Philip says, well, what's what he says. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the definite article, son of God. Nobody's being immersed in water, Pilgrim Baptist. Nobody's being immersed in water in any true biblical salvation by grace preaching church is being immersed in water until they have believed on the name and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you mayest. Then we will baptize you. But until that, if you think that water is going to wash away your sins. Then you are literally brainwashed. <laughs> into thinking something. That just ought not so. The NIV completely removes that verse. It's blasphemous. It's wrong. And it's going to lead people to hell if they come away with the conclusion and reading that chapter. That they don't need to believe before they're baptized. Now, right now, be a nice time to stop park and pause and, and say a few things. As much as I and as, as our church believes that. The King James Bible is God's authority. And it's completely correct as written. We don't believe that. You can't be saved. Unless you read a King James Bible. So we need to be clear about that. The gospel isn't. Well, you have to have an authorized version and be saved. The gospel is the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I only have an NIV, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use it. And when I see the errors, I'll make a comment or correction. 
But the idea is the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this idea that somebody can't be saved unless it's a Baptist minister with the King James Bible, having them repeat a prayer, you only get that if you are influenced by Jesuits or Roman Catholics, which Jesuits are Roman Catholics. And it's the same mess that we're trying to teach and preach against. I'm not the mediator. God is. And as much as we're ripping apart and tearing apart the NIV, and rightfully so, make no apologies for it. I'm not going to stand up here and say, the people that are reading NIVs, they ain't saved, man. No, they are. If they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and not in something else. So, hope that got qualified. Acts 15. I'm going to give you three verses, and I'll give you the reason why they're removed. To the best of my knowledge, Acts 15, verse number 34 says, Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. That verse is removed. Acts 24. So what's the big deal about that? Watch this. Acts 24. We'll tie all three together. Acts 24, verse number seven. Removed from the NIV. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Acts 24, seven. Completely removed. One more. Acts 28, 29. Acts 28, verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Removed. These are all happenings within the early church that may seem of like significance, especially when you just take the verse that's removed and read three of them. But they are all lessening and they're taking away certain historical events that have happened. Through the book of Acts. And they're just omitted. And every word of God is pure. And if certain happenings are going on. I want all of them. Romans chapter 16. We have two more. Romans chapter 16. Verse number 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I mean, do we really need to comment on that one? You want to take out another verse that talks about the grace of God? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's with us all. Why would you do that? That verse is completely omitted. Okay, the single most powerful verse concerning the Trinity. I'm sure you know what it is, unless you have an NIV. First John chapter 5, verse number 7. We'll finish with this one, but we can open up a whole can of worms. People have argued this verse for years. 
men of God that knew the Bible better than I did, that preached the Bible harder than I did, and did more for God than I ever will, have argued this verse and the authority of it for years. There's no way I'm going to convince somebody nowadays by arguing for God's word that it should be there, and it's true. Unless the Holy Spirit of God touches their heart and they see the rest of these verses that are removed and say, you know what, Something, something's fishy. First John chapter 5, verse 7 should absolutely be there. And it says, you know it, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The single most powerful verse concerning the Trinity, completely removed and doused in theological gymnastics to talk Christians out of their faith in God's promise to preserve his word. So those are the 17 verses that are completely taken away, blotted out, omitted from the word of God. But not here, because we've got We've got a Bible we can hold in our hand, just like I am. You can hold it. You can read it, not doubt it, believe it, just like I believe it, and get help from it, just like I get help from it. Why would I mess with it? Let it mess with me, and let it mess with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.